Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. On today's episode, I will be joined by Scott Chasen. He is the host of Booth Review, a podcast on KCSN. Scott's a friend of mine dating back to our days in Lawrence covering Kansas. So I'll get his thoughts on what he saw against TCU, what he saw from Jason Bean, and what to expect from this team moving forward if they're to be without Jalen Daniels for one game, a couple of games, or the rest of the season. I'll give you my thoughts on KU Oklahoma down in Norman. The betting line, which is a little surprising, nine-point favorites Oklahoma is, which historically speaking would actually be a small line and uh, what I expect to see when those two teams face off on Saturday. But I first want to open up with the quarterback situation, what took place on Saturday, what took place in the immediate aftermath, and the confusion that's been swirling around Jalen Daniels' health over the last 48 to 72 hours. I sort of debated on how much I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of this because a lot of the conversation around Jalen Daniels is sort of like this weird niche media conversation about how teams are supposed to be covered and about how news is supposed to be reported, but it's a big story. Jalen Daniels is slash was a legitimate Heisman candidate, and Kansas is one of the feel-good stories in college football this year, so I think it's at least something worth discussing. On Saturday, second quarter against TCU, Kansas had three points. 10-3 to was the score at the halftime. It was probably the worst half of football that we've seen from Jalen so far this year and the worst half of football we've seen from the Kansas offense so far this year. He takes a big hit. Immediately, you could tell that he was injured. I know there was speculation that it was a broken collarbone. There was speculation that it was a shoulder injury. He didn't come back into the game. Early on Sunday morning... I reported that it was a a shoulder separation for Jalen Daniels. There was no immediate announcement made by KU. That's typical. It's college, not the pros. You don't have to have the injury reports. You don't have to officially designate anybody with an injury status, and that's exactly what KU did. They didn't really say much of anything. Then on Tuesday afternoon, Zach Boyer, who has been covering Kansas for the Lawrence Journal World, reported that it was a grade three shoulder separation and that Jalen was going to be out for the remainder of the season. What was interesting in the immediate aftermath of that, if you pay attention to how news is broken in sports, big news stories like that, typically one guy will get the scoop, but everybody else is soon to follow. Like anytime you see Adam Schefter break a news in the NFL, 
Ian Rappaport will have it two minutes later. Or Tom Pellicero or Mike Garofalo. All of these newsbreakers will get it. It's the same thing across every level of sports because typically once a, a report comes out, then these other uh, reporters will reach out for comment from the school, at which point you kind of have no choice but to confirm it or maybe you have similar sources and that's how you just get the same sort of stories that everybody else is getting. What was interesting in this case is that nobody else seemed to confirm it. It was just Zach who had tweeted it out. A bunch of people were retweeting it. A bunch of people were aggregating it, but nobody else had confirmed it. Whatever. You know, you'd think a guy maybe just got a good scoop and was sourced up and had it when nobody else did. I go on a walk for like an hour and a half. I come back. My phone's blowing up because everybody's sending me this tweet that Jalen had sent. Jalen Daniels had quote tweeted that tweet from Zach Boyer saying, news to me, as if he hadn't been informed that he was going to be out for the remainder of the season. Soon thereafter, Lance Leipold tweets a photo with the caption, look who stopped by my office, and it's Jalen Daniels flexing, doesn't have any brace, his arm's not in a sling or anything like that. It just looks like a guy who's happy to stop by his head coach's office. Then that's when sort of the pylon began and the speculation began as to this guy, Zach Boyer, getting the story wrong. I know Matt Tate, who also a friend of mine, he's come on the podcast. He tweeted out that a Zach Boyer, a former LJ World employee, he's been doing freelance work for us. He reported something that didn't come through our you know, editorial process or whatever that entails. And not necessarily refuting the report, just saying, I can't confirm it, and we didn't hear about it through our sort of process of gathering information and confirming reports like that. So it wasn't an outright denial of it, but it was certainly something that made you wonder exactly what was going on. And so then the speculation begins as to, okay, did this guy, was, was he receiving false information? Is KU trying to you know, smoke out a leak so they, they feed some bad info to somebody to see who eventually leaks it. I have no earthly idea. That was my initial impression that maybe KU's feeding false information, but I have no reason to believe that my initial report from Sunday morning is not true. I wouldn't have put it out there if I didn't know that it was 100% true. Jalen Daniels has a shoulder separation. He's not going to play on Saturday, but I have no idea how severe that is. You know, if it's a, a grade one shoulder separation, that's something that you might even be able to play through. It's just a pain management thing. Whereas, you know, you get more severe than all of a sudden you're talking about serious rehab. that's going to put you on the mend for a while. I don't know what, what severity Jalen Daniels shoulder separation is. I do know that this whole thing is very weird. The way that people start to kind of speculate about, you know, why did this guy do this? Why did that guy do that? You know, I'm going to stand by my initial report and I'm going to let everybody else roll around in the mud while we wait for the dust to settle. But ultimately, how long will Jalen be out? It's a shoulder separation in his throwing shoulder. So if it's a, a, a different player at a different position, you know, maybe it's a, it's a more optimistic conversation about his timetable and how soon he can come back and how soon he would be effective, even if he is able to play through the pain. But as for now, it's Jason Bean and... He lit a spark into that Kansas offense in the second half against TCU. You look at his final stat line, it was impressive for two, for two quarters of football for a guy who's your backup quarterback. 16-24, 262, four touchdowns, one interception. Both of the touchdowns that he threw 
to Quentin Skinner were really good throws. Like you had to put it on the dime and that's exactly what he did. But what I thought was most impressive about the way that he came into the game and excelled was that immediately the first drive, I mean, he throws a little out route to, uh, I think it was Tanaka Scott who just turns it upfield for 54 yards. Next play throws it to Mason Fairchild. who didn't have anybody within 10 yards of him for a wide open touchdown. I loved that. It was very easy for him early that he was able to get confidence early and not having to labor out there like we kind of saw Jalen do in the first half. And to me, that's a product of this offense. And I'm not saying that anybody's a system quarterback. What I am saying is that this system is going to highlight quarterbacks' abilities and their strengths, and that's a testament to Andy Kotelnicki and the offense that he's built at Kansas. What I think is just as encouraging is that it's not as though this was the first action that we saw Jason Bean in. He has been, I don't know if heavily featured is the right word, but he's had a role in this offense through the first five and a half games. He was out there, not necessarily as a decoy, but he was getting touches because he is one of the fastest players on the team. And you go back to, we had Bryson Stricker on about a month ago, and he was talking about the quarterback competition before the season. That, Even though the coaches were saying it, not a lot of people believed it because we all saw what Jalen did at the end of last year. Jason Bean was the starter for most of last season. Jalen Daniels comes in the last three games and was clearly better. The report in the offseason was that Jason Bean was the better player in practice and that quarterback competition was really, really tight coming down the stretch entering this season. And that Jason Bean being the better player in practice the coaching staff was maybe wrestling with the idea of giving the starting spot to a guy who everybody on the team knew was being outplayed in the offseason. But ultimately, whether you want to call it the it factor or him just being an in-game player versus a bad practice player, they knew that their potential, right, their top-end potential, their ceiling as a team was going to be higher with Jalen Daniels as the quarterback. That's why they went with him. But taking that information in now and seeing how Jason Bean played, maybe it shouldn't be all that surprising that he came in and the offense still continued to execute at a high level. And now you go down to Norman to face an Oklahoma team that is absolutely reeling right now. They have lost three in a row and none of them have been particularly competitive. And you juxtapose that with how it's looked for Kansas going down to Norman in recent years. If you just look at the last six games that these two teams have played in Oklahoma, they have almost all been bloodbaths. 2022 years ago is 62 to 9. 2018, 55 to 40. 55 to 40. You lost by 15 points. That's the closest game that Kansas has had in Norman in the last decade by a long shot. 56 to 3, 44 to 7, 52 to 7. These are the types of scores that we're used to seeing when KU and Oklahoma face off in Norman. So, I mean, that's, it's a, you're getting outscored by almost 200 points over the last decade when you go down there. Oklahoma, as a, I mean, you go back to just this series as a whole, not even in Norman, Norman or Lawrence. Oklahoma's won 17 straight in this series, dating back to 1997. That's an average margin of victory in those games of 30 points. They've scored more points in the last seven meetings, Oklahoma has, than Kansas has scored in the last 17 meetings. It has not been close. There has been no team that has imposed their will on Kansas more than Oklahoma has, which makes sense because they've been the class of the Big 12. 
Dylan Gabriel, the starting quarterback, comes over from UCF. He was good, not great early in the season. Had a head-to-head hit a couple of weeks ago. And this kid, uh, Davis Bevel, comes in and it has been a significant drop-off at quarterback. Now, Gabriel is expected to return, which is massive for Oklahoma. I think we tend to overvalue how much one individual player can impact a game. I'm not even sure how good Gabriel is, but just seeing how bad Davis Bevel is, it's, it's probably a touchdown upgrade. Now, he's probably worth seven points. And again, that's not a testament to him. It's more of a knock on, on Bevel. Bless his heart. He looked lost. Six of 12 last week for 38 yards versus Texas. I don't know if you saw the final score of that one. It wasn't particularly close. We don't see stat lines like that for Oklahoma quarterbacks. But Lincoln Riley's not running the plays, and you don't have a Heisman candidate under center. But his return does give you some direction on offense. It gives you some hope that maybe you can turn things around at least on that side of the ball. With that being said, this betting line makes absolutely no sense to me. As of this recording, Kansas is nine-point underdogs, and I think that's a product of a couple things. First, they don't believe in Jason Bean. They don't believe that what we saw in the second half is indicative of what he can do moving forward. Listen, Jalen Daniels is not seven points better than Jason Bean in terms of a betting line, let alone nine. But if Daniels hadn't gotten injured, I think this line's probably closer to four or five points. The other thing is the history. It's the brands. It's the fact that Oklahoma has spent the, the last 70 years bashing Kansas's brains in. There is absolutely no way that you could look at what these two teams have done this year and say that Oklahoma's nine points better than Kansas. Oklahoma is a team without an identity or direction. I mean, their offense gets an obvious boost if Gabriel plays, which it seems like he will. But they legitimately have the worst defense in the Big 12. Not one of the worst defense in the Big 12. Since conference play started, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. These are absurd numbers for Oklahoma's defense. Since conference play started, they've given up 41, 55, and 49 points. In those three games, they're giving up 7.3 yards per play. That is fifth worst in the country over that span. They've given up almost 1,300 yards rushing this season. That's 400 more yards allowed than the next worst team in the Big 12. They are getting gashed on the ground. That's 215 yards allowed rushing per game. That ranks 120th out of 131 teams. It's even worse when you just look at Big 12 play. I mean, K-State three weeks ago rushed for 275 and four touchdowns. Then the next week, TCU ran for 361 and five touchdowns. Then last week, Texas goes for 296 yards rushing, three touchdowns. This is an abysmal, abysmal run defense in Oklahoma. And now you go up against a Kansas team that's top 30 in the country in rushing with one of the most innovative play callers, Andy Kotelnicki, and the guy filling in at quarterback is one of the fastest guys on the roster. Kansas is going to find ways to move the ball and score points against this defense. And Bean may not even have to show that much as a passer. You're talking about a guy with legit track speed. And he may get exposed eventually. There may be a moment at some point during Big 12 play where we say, oh, okay, this is why he's second on the pecking order. This is why Jalen Daniels won the starting job. He may get exposed eventually. I'm telling you right now, It is not going to happen down in Norman. I'm not guaranteeing a Kansas victory, but I'm 
pretty damn certain they're going to be able to move the ball and score points. Oklahoma might be able to as well, and maybe this will end up being a game played in the 40s. We know that both of these defenses are capable of giving up that much. This is the worst Oklahoma team in 20 years. If there was ever an opportunity to break that streak, it's going to be this Saturday. All right, Scott Chasen, Booth Review, KCSN. Scott, it's uh, been a while since we have talked in this setting. How have you been? I was going to say, we've talked fairly recently, Nick. We're people. We can interact with each other. But yes, we have not been on a radio program for a while. I think it's because Derek Johnson wants to separate us and drive a wedge between our friendship. But uh, I am happy to get to join you here and, and talk some K football. No, we're in the digital space now, Scott. This is the way of the future. We're, we're, we're like we're Draymond. We're like the Draymond Green in this situation. We're new media. We're facing we are, old. We are new media, except then when something actually interesting happens, we need to let the old media have it. Um, wait, does this mean one of us gets to punch each other in the face during practice or yes. during something? Because that yeah. sounds like fun. Which one of us is line for in line for a contract extension? Technically, I'm older, so I would be the Draymond in this okay. situation. You're the Jordan Pool. Does that, if I were Jordan Poole, by the way, I, I, I love when people say like, imagine if this happened at an accounting firm, because that's, there's like no comparison between what sports and like any other profession is. But I was thinking today, I swear to God, I was thinking this morning, I was like, what would I do if like one of my coworkers punched me in the face? Like how much would that dramatically change everything that happens in the office? Um, and I think I settled on, I would file a lawsuit bigger than the one that Devonte Adams is currently going to face for shoving that camera sound guy over. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's, that's first off, I would venture guess to say you've never been punched in the face before. I've been punched in the face once, Nick. It was a serious? long time ago. Not like hard, but like, I like kind of, I think I made it. It was in grade school. If you can believe this, I talk a lot for people who are maybe not so familiar with the voice they're hearing right now. Nick is familiar with that aspect of me. And uh, I was joking around with someone who did not realize I was joking and he did not know me. Um, and yeah, he kind of hit me in the face. So that was a good lesson. Um, you talk a lot, but shutting up. You talk a lot, but you're not like an aggressive talker. I wouldn't say you're confrontational. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I can be confrontational, but yeah, it, it, I, I need, I sometimes need to do a better job of making sure others are in on the joke too. So things don't come off the wrong way. And that is a lesson I learned. Uh, I want to say seventh grade, actually. I think that was in seventh grade. Okay. That, that happened. Seventh or eighth, seventh or eighth, maybe. Valuable lesson learned. Um, well, and, <laughs> And it's an interesting nugget there that Scott Chasen has, in fact, been punched in the face. I've been punched you? Uh, twice later in life than you. <laughs> so it, it took me a little longer to, uh, to learn the lesson, and it took me a couple tries, but we got there. We got there. Uh, all right, let's, let's talk some Kansas football. Jason Bean comes in in the second half after Jalen Daniels goes down. What was just your overall impression of how Bean looked, how the offense looked with him in at quarterback in the second half versus TCU. Yeah, well, I think there's kind of two ways to, to look at it when you talk about the offense. I think you start with Jason Bean, and I'm going to steal a line from, you know, my co-host on Booth Review, Kent Swanson, who said, you saw why Jason Bean was, you know, rumored to be in this quarterback competition and said to be playing the best football of his career. And you also saw why he didn't ultimately win the job because there was a lot of good. I, I mean, you saw it, everyone saw it. Some of those deep passes, the patience that he showed um, his ability, he's got a huge arm um, so he can get the ball down the field. He's obviously very fast. So he has a lot of those tools um, and you saw those on display, 
But at the same time, think about some of the short to intermediate stuff. I mean, the overthrow and the interception, I asked him about it after the game, and he said, yeah, I mean, he was just trying to throw to the guy short. Ball sailed on him. He throws a pick. Um, That ball to Devin Neal out in the flat, right, where if he completes that on the final drive of the game, Devin Neal gets 20 yards. KU's probably in the red zone in business, needing a touchdown at the end of that game and, and going for two in the win. And instead, it comes down to a fourth down play where maybe there should have been a penalty called. Probably so. But you never want to be in the situation of needing those penalties called, especially knowing that on key plays, refs swallow, you know, will swallow their whistles. So I, I thought there was some good and some bad. But the thing that interested me so much was how KU basically changed its offense at halftime from what they had done most of the year with all this triple option and fun stuff. They still did a little bit of that, but they brought back the wide zone. They brought back play action off the wide zone, wide zone counter. Um, And I asked a couple of players about that after the game. That was not the game plan. That was a, what plays are working? What do these guys know how to do? What can we do? And I thought this offense looked a lot more like last year's offense. Clearly Jason Dean was comfortable and KU scored a lot of points. I was surprised when I heard those notes in the summer that, this quarterback competition was really close. I think a lot of people were because we saw how different they looked when they went from Jason Bean to Jalen Daniels to the point where we all knew it was going to be Jalen Daniels this year. And you just sort of wondered, wait a minute, how, how is this not cut and dry? And maybe it's just like the, the idea that some guys are gamers and some guys are, are practice quarterbacks, but like we saw the best version of Jason Bean in that second half that we've ever seen at KU. So I wonder now, like how much of a downgrade is it really to go from Jalen Daniels to Jason? Yeah, I I actually thought two things when that started kind of coming out in summer and fall camp and all that. I thought one, I was like, this staff's lying. Um, (laughs) And that was my first thought. And then two, I was like, I bet Jalen is just like throwing it all over the place, like just trying to see what he can get away with. You know, we had Carter Stanley come on our show and Carter Stanley said basically that he felt like he maybe missed out on some quarterback competitions because he was trying to treat it like a game and have like a mental clock and and throw the ball when it's time. Whereas like in practice, you get that extra second, like there are not guys bearing down on you. So you can kind of cheat a little bit and make sure extra that you're making the correct read and and being extra safe with the ball. And he felt like he was trying to simulate games where the staff just wanted him to do the right thing, even if it wasn't necessarily going to be a one-to-one, you know, translating to the game. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think, I think this gives some credence and legitimacy to this and, you know, to Jason Bean's credit, Jason Bean came to KU with some hype because of what he did at North Texas. But I'll tell you, um, around the time he chose KU, I talked to someone who I would say is was very familiar with him. And I said, yeah, I, I figured Jason Bean's going to be the starting quarterback up here. And he looked at me like I was nuts. And he was like, Kansas has to have a better quarterback than Jason Bean. And I, w- I was really surprised. I was like, why? Like, what makes you say this? And he was like, decision-making accuracy. Like, those two things are not there. And so for one game and a few games last year, I think we saw, you know, some pretty good decision-making and most of the time some very good accuracy. Um, but kind of similar to Jalen this year, I think you'll need a few games to see, has he really made that next step? Or are some of these things that might have been issues at, at his last stop at North Texas going to kind of creep up again and, and maybe hurt Kansas and potentially cost the Jayhawks a game or two? So I guess this question could be applied to both quarterbacks then based off what you just said, which is that do you think that the play we've seen from Jalen in five and a half games and Jason Bean in one half, 
Do you think that's more of a product of both of them taking steps in their own individual games or both of them just getting more comfortable in this offense, which is going to put quarterbacks in positions to look really good? Uh, you know, this is kind of like the Belichick Brady thing. Like who gets, I didn't say the phrase though, you know, the (laughs) phrase, I didn't say it. So you can't accuse me of that. I'm going to actually give a slight lean to the coaching staff here. Um, and, and I'll explain why, like, I think Jalen Daniels is the most talented quarterback Kansas has had undoubtedly since Todd Reesing. Um, and I, I don't even think it's a question, but it is undoubtable that he also has the best offensive lines since Todd Reesing. He, probably also has the best coaching since Todd Reesing. And let's think about the talent on this roster, which has not only come from the transfer portal and been coached up by some very good instructional coaches, but like a few, what was it now? I guess it would have been four years ago when Les Miles started what was basically the job David Beatty should have done, saying, nope, high schoolers only. This this thing is going to suck for a couple of years when you lose 60 seniors and you replace them with 50 freshmen who should not be on the field. Um, and you saw that in 2020, which was a disaster, but think about a lot of those guys now who are now starting to become very, very good football players in this program, like guys on the defensive side of the ball, Romello Dotson and Jacoby Bryant have been this team's starting cornerbacks. Kenny Logan has been this team's, you know, kind of star safety. You think about the defensive line and guys like Caleb Sampson, um, like Les miles in a large way built this team, but then kind of got out of there to make way for better coaches who would be better to kind of bring these players along. And so I think while the talent has undoubtedly improved, and I think that applies to the quarterback position, I I, I think you have to give some credence to that coaching. I mean, think about what Ryan Willis and Montel Cozart did after they left Kansas. They didn't look like the same quarterbacks, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I give them all credit, but I'd give a slight lean to the coaching. You think I'm crazy for that, or or would you be in in line? No, I agree with you. I agree Mm -hmm. with you, because I think what part of makes this offense really fun to watch. And it's a word that Andy Kotelnicki says a lot week to week in his press conference is the confusion that it places and imposes upon opposing defenses. So that knowing that that's going to exist regardless of who's in at quarterback, they're not going to dumb down this offense because it's already, I think simple for them yet confusing for opposing defenses that I sort of expect at least at a baseline level the same regardless of whether it's Daniels or being in at quarterback. I, th- I think that's actually kind of reasonable. Like you'll get some slight variations of yeah. play calling by what each guy likes. But yeah, I mean, KU is not going to stop having probably more pre-snap motion than 99% of teams in FBS. And I mean, they even ran option plays with Jason Bean when one of his first pitches was um, basically a pitch to nobody, although it was in the direction of Kai Thomas. Although I will say this, Jalen Daniels' first pitch of the season was also a fumble. So um, maybe right. sometimes those guys just take time to get comfortable. But honestly, you know, Nick, this has been the one thing that's kind of bothered me about the dialogue around KU's offense. It's that people have gotten mad, specifically in the last two weeks, about what they do on third and long, and particularly running the ball on third and long. Um, first of all, they've done it all season. People haven't complained all season because it worked earlier in the year, but it, it accomplishes two things. And, and first and foremost, it's a tendency breaker. Um, when the opponent wants you, you know, is going to send guys after the quarterback, knows they can blitz, knows it's a passing down. When you can break those tendencies and make them think, well, there actually is a really good chance they're going to run or they're going to pass. That allows you to open your playbook more. And also before the Iowa State game, this had been one of the most aggressive staffs in the country 
in terms of all of last season, the first four games of this year, in terms of going forward on fourth down, um, they didn't against Iowa state. So I think people were especially not thrilled with some of the third down running, but usually that's what they do. They run on third and 10, get it to fourth and four, and then they go for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you view it through that lens and you say, okay, let's pretend this is second and 10, for example, okay, well, all of a sudden a run maybe makes a little bit more sense, even if you don't love it every time. And by the way, in this last game, there was a second and 20 and they ran a quarterback draw and that quarterback draw picked up 11 yards yeah. and then they threw for the first down on third down. So that that's the only part of this that's kind of annoyed me just because I actually think this philosophy by the K offensive staff, um, I think it's very thoughtful and it's very thoughtful about analytics and fourth downs because Lance Leipold, he is an offensive guy, but he's an old ball co- coach. Like five years ago, Lance Leipold did not want to be going for fourth downs basically ever. He wanted to win with running the ball and defense, whatever, but he's adaptable. He has adapted his strategy to that goes a lot more by feel of the game. And so I think, I think this KU staff is really thoughtful and, and causing confusion. Like you mentioned, I think that's just a huge part of this. No. And I think that was something that, you recognized before this season what that they were going to do is figure out what the strengths were. And a lot of us thought that that was the running game, the running backs. That was your most talented room. And you're going to find a way to utilize your strengths. You're not going to say, well, we, we have four running backs we love, but we can only use two. So I guess we're going to have two of our best players not playing a role in this team. That, that was never going to be the case with them. And now with Bean, you mentioned like how the play calling maybe changes based off what they want, but it's also what they do. I've heard a lot of people this week saying, well, you know, a lot of people said it was close, but that Daniels is a little better runner. I'm like, have you seen Jason Bean run? <laughs> like, well, he has track speed. I'm like, there's a lot of guys in the NFL with track speed. What do you, why, why do people try to use this as a negative? Because I'm looking at it and saying, based off what I've seen from five or six games of play calling, they're going to find ways to get him in open space and utilize the fact that he's one of the three fastest players on any field he'll step on this year. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the one knock on him that I think is a little warranted is, but it could also be kind of a good thing, is that he doesn't like contact. It it seems like given the option, he will run out of bounds instead of Carter Stanleying it to try and get three extra yards at the expense of putting his shoulder into some guy. Um, Don't think that's the worst thing in the world, by the way, now that KU is effectively down to one quarterback that you would want playing in games. So, yeah, I mean, he is equally a threat in the run game. I mean, that's evidenced by some of the plays they use you know, with him with earlier this year. And I would even go back to that Iowa state game, a third and long in the first half in the first quarter, actually first drive of the game um, where he ran the ball. He picked up the first down and a hold brought it back. It was a very questionable hold on Jared Casey. That was just another example of like, remember the coastal Carolina game last year where he was running and he was doing things that I think even against Duke that it was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. This guy can make plays as a runner. And Nick, let's not forget, before there was the Texas game, there was the Oklahoma game. Um, you know, most people know that as the Caleb Williams, uh, you know, fumble strip where he pulled the ball away from the running back game. Uh, I will personally remember that as the my first day in my new apartment when I threw my keys down a garbage chute game. Um, got locked out of my apartment for a little bit. That was fun. Um, a little personal tidbit on me. But Jason Bean, Jason Bean was perfect for that game, right? clock control, running the ball when he needed to, making some throws, the ability to get it, you know, that threat of throwing the ball down the field. Jason Bean is a, is a very good quarterback. Um, 
And, you know, there was a, a former editor for the Norman Transcript, the Oklahoma paper, you know, in town who tweeted, how does Kansas have a better quarterback and a better backup quarterback than Oklahoma? And I thought like that kind of sums up Kansas's quarterback situation. They kept him in this age of the transfer portal. Uh, they didn't move him to wide receiver and they basically kind of bet on backup quarterback being an important position. And lo and behold, here we are. And backup quarterback is kind of an important position for KU. And now you go to Norman, one of the toughest places to get a win. If I'm just looking at the recent history, two years ago, Oklahoma won 62 to nine. Two years <laughs> before that, it was 55 to 40. So in retrospect, a 15 point loss when you let the other team score 55 is one of the best performances KU's had down there. Uh, 56 to 3, 44 to 7, 52 to 7. Yet they go into this game as single digit underdogs with that backup quarterback, Scott. And I think a lot of people forget that you are Oklahoma through and through. You are Mr. Oklahoma. You were born in the Red River. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the floor. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm going to give you the floor on this one. Is, is Kansas is a better football team than Oklahoma, right? I kind of think so. Um, I also think if Jalen, I mean, this is if and if and if and if, but if Jalen Daniels were healthy and this game was in Lawrence, Kansas would absolutely be favored and Kansas would not be favored by a point. Kansas might be favored by a touchdown. Um, I don't think that's crazy. Uh, I think Oklahoma is lucky that this game this year falls in their place. I think that will help the Sooners. And obviously you would expect to bounce back. I was laughing because I was born in Maryland. Um, I did live in Oklahoma for a long period of time, but <laughs> doesn't matter. Don't let, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. Yeah. I was born in Gaithersburg. Um, so not quite, but I lived in Tulsa and uh, I've spent time in Norman. It is a lovely city. If you are going town, uh, if you are going try hideaway pizza, I highly recommend it. Best pizza in the world. Um, yeah, look, I mean, Kansas is better than Oklahoma. You would say they've shown more offensively um, the early on. They've shown to be a more well-coached team. They have way more continuity. Like this is the thing with Oklahoma in hindsight. It makes total sense. Oklahoma lost their coach, their coordinator. Like I'm not sure people remember their coordinator said the N word allegedly multiple times, uh, their offensive coordinator right before the season. And their head coach is a defensive head coach. So like, Think about that when you talk about the context of an offense that also has a transfer quarterback who also got injured. Like, that is a ton right there, and that doesn't even begin to mention everything they lost in the transfer portal, losing their staff, just the general flux of what's going to go on when they move to the SEC. Like, this is a program, top to bottom, that is changing. And so I think this is one of the times they've been their most vulnerable. But I'll tell you this, like, if you pop on the, the tape of that TCU game, um, the OUTCU game. Oklahoma was bad, man. Like it wasn't TCU. Give them credit. Like they made they made some plays, but I mean, you're talking about 70 yard quarterback runs where nobody touches the guy, or like a wide receiver runs straight down the field completely uncovered, and, and it was almost embarrassing that it was like a good college bas uh, college football program. I was going to say, imagine like like a KU performance like that is like what happened when KU played Temple. And, you know, I think it was like Frank Mason's freshman year or something. They lost by 20 on the road. But then imagine if you follow that up by losing by 50, because that's what Oklahoma did. Like they had the really bad, embarrassing performance. And then their get right game in the Red River shootout, they lost 49 to nothing. So unless something is going to click this week, I would have to imagine that this is going to be one of the easy, not easiest, but like one of the best shots for Kansas to win a game this year. 
And I absolutely think they are good enough to do it if they play probably an A minus game. I think that's probably the bar for Kansas to get a win in this game. Yeah, Oklahoma had 39 passing yards last week without Dylan Gabriel, <laughs> who is set to return. And yeah. I thought he looked good. I think he was he was fine before they got before he got injured. Um, I guess it was the second half against the TCU game, or the end of the first half. Yeah, end of first. How much does his return impact? We know he's an upgrade, but how much does that impact where you see the advantages or disadvantages for Kansas lying? If he were like defined out in this game, I think Kansas still on the road would have been favored. So I think that tells you something, Mm -hmm. but I, I think he's an upgrade, but he's not, this is, he's not one of the Oklahoma quarterbacks of old. And I think you have to give the Q defense some respect too, because like, I'll go back to that TCU game. Uh, Robert Griffin, the the third was the color commentator on that game. And he did a whole segment about how bad his foot Dylan Gabriel's footwork was and why he kept overthrowing passes. He probably had six or seven, just straight overthrows um, in the first half of that game before he got injured. Now, you know, that was a bad game he played. He's obviously played better games. He's obviously capable of making plays. So, I mean, it makes Oklahoma immeasurably better having him in there and you would assume based off his history in any given game, he has the chance to go off and put up a bunch of points, but he doesn't and shouldn't scare Kansas fans and Kansas as a team. I, I mean, he's not Baker Mayfield. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not even Jalen hurts. Like he, he is a definite downgrade. Now he's, he's still a good quarterback. Like I said, he's still capable, but um, even with Jason being in the game, I, I don't see the quarterback mat- matchup as being that lopsided. Like, I, I don't know. Given the chance to trade quarterbacks, you'd probably take Dylan Gabriel. I mean, it'd be kind of crazy if you didn't, but um, I, I would be surprised um, if he were, you know, that much better than whatever we see out of Jason being in this game. All right, man. Uh, well, thank you for the Oklahoma breakdown, Mr. Red River, Mr. Oklahoma himself, Scott Chasen, uh, Booth Review, Kansas City Sports Network. Great stuff with Kent Swanson. Uh, been fun listening to you and it was fun talking to you thanks for the time it's fun listening to you and i'm glad i get to rob the people of a player interview this week that is all i have ever (laughs) set out to do is speak over every member of college football programs that i covered so i'm proud to get to do that this week although for those who haven't listened your interview with rich miller was absolutely fantastic and i highly recommend it thanks dude all right big thanks to scott for coming on with me if you haven't already please subscribe rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I appreciate you so much for your time each week. I'm rolling with Kansas plus nine. I feel like that it feels like I'm either walking into a bear trap or Vegas just hasn't quite figured out Kansas yet. I know there was sort of this feeling of disappointment when they lost to TCU. Uh, They were seven point dogs. They lost by seven with their backup quarterback for two straight quarters. And the defense for the first half, I mean, held TCU to just 10 points. Then it kind of became a track meet in the second half. But I I don't know how you could have come away from that game unless you're just specifically looking at losing Jalen Daniels, which is significant, and I'm not trying to minimize that. I don't know how you could come away from that game feeling worse about Kansas in how they performed, right? They have been faced with a lot of different benchmarks, a lot of moving goalposts with what Kansas needs to accomplish in order for people to truly take them seriously as one of the better teams in the Big 12. To me, they look like they belong. 
in a game against TCU who might be the best team in the Big 12. Texas might have something to say about that as well. I have a hard time believing that Kansas isn't going to be in any of these games, especially against Oklahoma, unless they just completely turn into a new team defensively. I do not see how Kansas is not able to score points. I still have my questions about their defense. I will all season long. But whatever concerns you have about the Kansas defense, just wait until you see what Oklahoma... I I don't know how they're going to stop this rushing attack. I feel like Andy Kotelnicki and this staff is going to try and expose that run defense, which has just been getting annihilated in Big 12 play. So I'm rolling with Kansas. I don't know if I'm confident enough to take them out right, but at the money line, I think it's like plus 300 or something around there. I mean, it's not the worst bet in the world, but Kansas plus nine feels like free money. Again, could be walking into a bear trap, but I feel good about it. Thanks as always for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. We'll see you next week on Waving the Wheat. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 